Welcome to the Phase World Podcast. Engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. So that was like the first sign that my life could not only be mine, but could be ours. When you lose a child, it's like the life you know is over. My heart was had a huge hole in it. I could actually feel the air blowing through my heart. I, I just couldn't do any of whatever I was doing anymore at all. So I had to kind of start from scratch, really, and rebuild the life. And, I wanted to rebuild a life that had meaning and that had purpose. And But now I realized I am living our life. Well, so what grief counseling is, doing nothing but being there to listen for people, just to hear what they have to say, what they want to express, what they're feeling, you know, not trying to help them or change them or teach them or guide them. It's just being there. Someone who can listen to whatever they have to say. You know, the thing I would change in the day-to-day now is almost nobody talks about Samantha now. It's like people don't want to make me feel bad, so they don't want to bring her up. But it's the not bringing her up that makes me feel bad. I love to talk about Samantha. It makes her still, you know, present and alive and, you know, part of life. Hi, you're listening to Face World Podcast, and this is your host, Fei Wu. I met Richard Dweck 15 years ago. Though we didn't spend a lot of time together, I always remember him as a business-driven, caring, and curious person. He founded his own company and worked as a technology consultant for years. He had two children, and he was incredibly proud of both of them. I still remember when he sat down in the passenger seat while Adam, our associate producer, and I drove to have dinner one night, some eight or nine years ago. Richard turned around and told us about his daughter, Samantha, who had recently been accepted to Brown University in Rhode Island. On January 25th, 2015, I came home from work and found out that Samantha had passed away in a kayaking accident. She was 24 years old. I remember sitting in the dark for a long time, not being able to process what had just happened. I still can't. Not long before we lost Samantha, I had just attended another friend's funeral, a young woman I had known for years. I was struggling with grief, doubts, and confusion. Fast forward two and a half years later, Richard reached out to me. It was an important moment for our friendship. He offered to share his journey as a grieving father who had gone a long way since I last saw him at Samantha's service. Today, he's a Pilates instructor and a photographer. These are the things Samantha enjoyed very much, and now they're crucial elements of Richard's new life. It took an extraordinary amount of courage to share his stories on the show. Richard had gone through counseling himself and is now offering his help to others who have lived through the pain of losing their children. I want to dedicate this episode to Samantha Dweck and her family. If you're so lucky to have met her, please share the story and your stories about Samantha. Without further ado, please welcome Richard Dweck to the Face World Podcast. So why I wanted to talk to you, I thought, you know, there might be something for other people. I could kind of help other people um, through my journey that I've taken from um, really the depths 
the, the deepest depths of despair uh, and not really wanting to be alive anymore to, uh, you know, kind of rebuilding another life and like how, how I did that and, you know, how I'm seeing my life now. You know, I immediately, not immediately, well, within a month or two after Samantha died, I, I uh, or maybe three months after, I sought out grief counseling. So I left on the internet and I found there was a place right nearby uh, in Palo Alto, a grief cent- you know, a grief counseling center, nonprofit, free, uh, you know, donation-based. And, and uh, I went and they had a group they were trying to form, the next group, for parents who had lost adult children. So I said, that's perfect. But then they, the group didn't come together. They didn't get enough people, and thank God. And then, uh, you know, so I said, okay, I need some help. So they gave me an individual counselor. He was great. And I stuck with him for like nine months. Uh, but I also then, after three months, the groups did start, and I was in that group for six months. But his counseling showed me that was the first thing that showed me that someone could survive this. He had lost someone in his life, you know, a number of years before, and he was somehow functioning and he was, you know, out there in the world enough to help me. So I realized, A, you know, I, I, it was great and it was like he was saving me. And B, that was something I wanted to be able to do eventually for other people. So I went through that. And then uh, after about, oh, I don't know, I guess nine months later. So I, there was a teacher, a, counselor, a peer counselor training, but they wouldn't let me get into it until I had been out of uh, counseling for a year. So I actually ended counseling probably prematurely because I knew the next step for me was helping others. That was the next step in my healing. Wow. So you wanted to do what Steve did for you to other people. He did, yeah. And uh, so I I wanted to do I felt it was like the next step and it was something, you know, Samantha would have wanted me to do. So that, which brings me, so that's one layer, but that brings me to the theme of my life, which is, and we'll we'll circle back to Pilates. I was on the mat, you know, taking a class. This was only maybe four months after she died, you know, three months or four months after she died, I was in this class and I was killing myself. And I'm like, you know, why am I doing this? I could be home eating breakfast. Like, why am I here at whatever it was, 9.30 or 10.30 in the morning, you know, killing myself, like working harder than ever. And I looked down and I'm on Samantha's mat that I had inherited from her. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, she was a gymnast and she was all about core strength. And here I am, you know, making my core like amazingly strong. And so that was like the first sign that my life could be um, could not only be mine, but could be ours. And I could, uh, you know, do the things that. I'd always wanted to do. I'd always want to be a yoga teacher, but I never have time for it when I was doing my business third millennium. And, you know, I was working eight hours a week and I just never had time for to do, go and do the yoga teacher training. But I, I thought, you know, like now I could do the things that I want to do, um, you, you know, using her energy as well as mine, whatever resistance I have, okay, I have all her energy and it kind of moves me forward. You know, so I could do the things I want to do. I could do the things she wanted to do. You know, she had a lot of things she wanted to do. So I could do those things, you know, for us. And then I could do the things that would make her proud of me. You know, if she's, if there, you know, if there's an afterlife and she's looking down and I don't know what I believe in anymore. You know, if, if Samantha could die, I don't know what I believe in anymore. But, uh, you know, so I could do the things that would make her really proud of me. And so I started living, you know, a better life, you know, than I, what I had. I, I had to remake my life. My life was over. So when Samantha died, my life ended. I have Jake and I love him. I love him just as much as I ever loved Samantha. But when you lose a child, it's like the life you know is over. My heart was had a huge hole in it. I could actually feel the air blowing through my heart. 
you know, I could just walk around and I couldn't breathe. And even as I talk about it right now, I could feel my breath constricting. So I couldn't even breathe for the longest time. And I could feel the air coming, like just blowing right through my heart. And um, so it's like, okay, I can't really rebuild that heart. I can't close that heart. I can't rebuild my life. There was nothing to build on top of anymore. You know, nothing I did or was doing was anymore. I, I just couldn't do any of whatever I was doing anymore at all. So I had to kind of start from scratch, really, and rebuild the life. And I wanted to rebuild a life that had meaning and that had purpose. And and I wanted to, you know, kind of rebuild, in essence, evolve. I wasn't saying this a year ago, but now I realize I am living our life. I'm living my life and Samantha's life. The other day, I got a vision of a grapefruit, you know, take the grapefruit, cut it in half, take out all the, you know, the pulp, and uh, you have the two shells, and you put one side, one in the other. That's how I'm living. I look like Richard, but inside is a layer of Samantha, like right under my skin. So I'm living our life, and I'm, I'm trying to live the best life I can for both of us. So, you know, so I'm doing the Pilates, and, you know, that's the greatest, and then she was creative and, you know, and, and, you know, I was sitting on a couch. Uh, I was at my favorite coffee shop uh, with this friend of mine. So I have a, I have friends of all ages. So my friends range from 23 years old to a hundred years old now. And uh, my 23 year old friend, she's an artist and uh, she does drawing and we're sitting at this coffee shop talking about the future and I'm trying to get her to go back to school. And she says, well, what, you know, we, we talk about it and she says, well, what are you, you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'd like to actually, you know, sitting here looking at the art on the walls, I'd like to have my photography up somewhere. I'd like to have, I'd like to be able to exhibit my photography somewhere. She said, what about here? She looks behind us and there's like a bare wall. I said, you mean here? She said, yeah, go ask them. So I went and I asked them and they said, sure, bring it in, talk to the owners and see what they say. So I went home and I didn't, you know, drag my feet a little bit. I was like, oh my God, I'm not really a photographer. I just done like travel photography and, you know, on my own, but not like as a serious photographer. But I put a portfolio together. I went to my walls. I took all everything that was on my walls. I went in there. It took me about two weeks and I went in there and I showed them all my work and I said, oh, we love it. Go ahead, take that wall. And, you know, for the next year, that wall was mine. And I, you know, had my photography up there and, and then I thought, okay, you know, this is a start. Like, what do I do next? And so then I decided to study photography and I found a workshop. And last year I went, you know, once a month to a workshop and I met with a teacher in between, in between, you know, in between sessions. And, and I, uh, you know, started, you know, I had a show, I had a really nice, nicely received show in San Francisco, like a one man show. And then I had a gallery that, I accepted my work for sale. So they sell, I have one gallery that's selling my work on an ongoing basis. And, you know, this year I, I sought out another teacher and that I got some things from that. I, I really, it brought me out of my dark period. I was in a very dark period. All my photos were dark, you know, because I was so sad, but he sort of brought me out of my dark period. And But he wasn't the right teacher for me. And I, you know, just recently, you know, through kind of intention. I, I was talking with my sister and she said, you know, where I said I need another teacher. And she said, well, how about a mentor? And I said, oh, that's a good idea. So she said, yeah, find some photographer that you admire and go and, you know, see if he'll, he or she will mentor you. So I said, okay. So that was like on a Monday, about two weeks ago. And and then Tuesday morning, the next morning, I'm teaching, I'm going to a Pilates class. And afterwards I come out and the student uh, who's one of my students uh, introduced me to this woman. She said, oh, do you know this woman, Jan? And I said, no, no. And I talked to her. And, and my students said, oh, Richard's a great Pilates teacher, but he's also a, a photographer. And she said, oh, that's so funny. My husband's a photographer. And so I said, tell me about him. She told me about him. I said, oh, I'm looking for a mentor. She said, oh, he would love that. So I bought, you know, it was like just the intention was, you know, Monday night was like find a mentor. Tuesday morning, bam. I had a mentor and, and I met with them Friday and they loved what I was doing and the direction I was going and some of my photos. It was great because he's a very, very accomplished photographer. 
And he probably loved like seven to nine photos. Like he loved them. What are some of the photos about? Do you remember? What was the theme for that collection versus what in so particular? I collections. And that was part of the thing we worked on. So we, at our first section session last week, we worked on the idea of collections and kind of pulling stuff together. Yeah. So I went to Taiwan in um these are like golden lily flowers that they use for cooking. When were you in Taiwan? In, in April. Oh wow, fairly recent. Yeah, so I was just in Taiwan in April. I went to Japan. I started I've started traveling for photography. So I went to Japan in November. I went to India two years ago, but I wasn't into photography then. Though I wish I was, then I have to go back now. Uh, because so what's happening now is my eyes are changing what I see. I see things now that I don't think most people would see or, or anybody. And sometimes like I can see I could find things and see things. I'll, I'll show you an example. So like one, I was in Japan and I there was nothing there was nothing to see. I, I went to it took me two days to get to this one town and there was absolutely nothing there. There was nothing to photograph. And I got at that when I, before I got off the bus, I said to the bus driver, it took me two days to get there, really, more or less, because I couldn't find the bus the first day. No everybody directed me to another place, to another place. And there was no bus to this in, town. in Japan. In Japan. I was in Kanazawa on the west coast and I want to go out to the port. And so that whole afternoon, nothing. So I gave up. And then the next day, I said, I'm going to try it again. And finally, I went to the bus station. I said, no, not here. But if you walk you know, a couple miles, there's a stop. And I waited to the stop. And it was like, finally, a bus came. And the driver, I was the last person off the bus when he got to the final stop. I said, he didn't speak any English, but I said, more or less, how do I get back? And he pointed across the street, and there was a schedule on a pole. I said, thank you, and he drove away. And I went to the schedule, and the last bus had already left for going back. So I was, like, stuck there. And I figured, okay, well, don't worry about it now. There's no way to get back, you know, but don't worry about it now. Just go photograph. So I walked around for hours, and there was nothing. It was, the, it was just, it was nothing. But then I remembered a teacher had said to me, look small or look large. I said, all right, I'm going to look small. And I took like two steps after I said that. And I lay you know, two short, little, slow step. And I looked down on the ground and, and there was this. And this is just a, this is only a, probably a one foot diameter circle. And it's this plant that's been blown by the wind, you know, different days, different directions. And it's created a Zen-like Thing. So it was, it was like, and there's another one in the upper left corner. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's not even artificial. It's all. No, this is all made by nature, you know. So I started looking at life much more closely. And um, it's really, I found some amazing things. And, and uh, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to get there, but it's it's very hard. That's, a, that's an area that's going to take me a long time to work on and to bring to the point where people can see what I see. Like there's a lot of things I see now in nature, a lot of human forms, a lot of animal forms. And when I point them out to you, you can see them, but but the, it's not a good photograph if I have to point it out. So I'm working, you know, I'm working on my photography to the point, to get to the point where some of these things are more obvious. And I'll give you another example. So I was walking by a wall in Kyoto, and there's, you know, Nefertiti or King Tut or whatever. If you see the face, it's like, but this is just moss on a wall. You know, that's just the space where the moss isn't growing. Mm. Oh, I can see the face. Wow. But that's, it's, that's not a great photo because people would just see a moss on a wall. No, I can see, like, the, the person wearing the head, a hat, the a hat, and then the eyes, and the nose bridge, and it's almost like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to orient because I am, you know, familiar with you and with your story and yeah. I didn't get a chance to meet Samantha and I regret it for that opportunity that, you know, I didn't have. And um, so um, how long has it been since Samantha left us? Two and a half years. Wow. Time really flies, you know, and 
So two and a half years, you made a lot of progress. And the stories you shared with us being the training, you know, going through counseling, uh, training in Pilates, teaching yeah. in Pilates, and all these, yeah. you can't wait to be helpful because I, I yeah. just imagine that so many people don't want to talk about it, but yeah. then it becomes, a, in a way, a superpower because then other people can relate to you. It's very hard yeah. to talk to someone who has never gone through this before. Yeah. And um, therefore you become a, a really a, a resource. So I'll tell you a story about that. So I went to a, a retreat, a men's retreat for men who have lost children of any age uh, on Samantha's, the first birthday where she wasn't here. So the first year she died, you know, on October 25th. So there was, I looked, I saw a circular on the table of the grief center. They said, men's weekend retreat, you know, October 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And I said, oh man, it's perfect. It's just like fate. You know, like, what? you know, that was going to be the hardest day of my life. You know, another, not the hardest day of my life, but the next hardest day was going to be her birthday. And here I would be with other men. Uh, but then as we got closer to it, I started feeling like I didn't really want to go to it because I, it was going to be worse for me because it was going to be her birthday. And, and finally, I told this man who I was going to go drive up there with, I said, no, I'm not going to, I decided not to go. He said, no, no, you're going. He said, I'm going to come, I'm going to get you, I'm going to take you and, and everything will be all right. So I went up there and there were seven men and two other men, their daughters were that day. Their birthday was that day. Three out of the seven. One was alive and one had died. So, you know, and he had another one of his children had died. But three out of our seven had daughters with birthdays on that day. It was crazy. So they, the people who you know kind of facilitated the workshop brought in three cakes and we had a birthday party for them. And and the daughter who was alive called in and was part of it and it was amazing. Wow. But anyway, that workshop was great. And then they had another workshop this year for men and, and I volunteered to be one of the people behind the scenes assisting. But then the all, there were two other volunteers, but they weren't parents who had taken the course. And the facilitator said, you know, Richard, why don't you become part of the course? Why don't you take the course? Why don't you participate? You could do your, I said, all right, I'll still do my work on the side and in between sessions, I'll still help them, but I'll, I'll be part of the course and being part of the course was amazing for me. So I got to do it again. And then, you know, there's different uh, workshops you do, and it really helps you kind of express yourself and get your emotions out and, and, you know, kind of make realizations. But it was very, very, very helpful to the other men in the course because they saw where I had come to in two years and they couldn't imagine, you know, they were they were still a month away, two months away, three months away, or six months away from you know their loss. And they said it, it was so helpful to us, which is exactly what you said. It was so helpful to us to see you having been in our seat, you know, two years before, and now to be where you are now in your life. It, you know, it gives us hope. And each man said that individually to me you know, toward, at some point during the weekend. So I realized there was a lot of power in, in being able to just model, you know, a life, you know, for others who can feel like, you know, who feel like their life is over. You know, I, I don't know if you got to some of the details and it's hard to meet someone for the first time and, you know, start asking questions. Rather, you know, there's an opportunity to connect at any level that's meaningful. Um, do you know if out of, you know, the people that you met and um, maybe these seven men in particular, did you find out under what circumstance did they lose their children? Was it oh, yeah. to Are illness? You, I know everything. I know uh -huh. everything. So through the grief counseling, uh, what, so what grief counseling is, is doing nothing but being there to listen for people, just to hear what they have to say, what they want to express with their feeling, you know, not trying to help them or change them or teach them or guide them. It's just being there, someone who can listen there. You know, you're just there with them, you know, and you feel what they feel and you've been through 
you know, something similar so you could understand what they're doing, you know, what's, what's going on for them, but just allowing them and creating a space where they can express whatever, whatever their grief is. Like everybody's grief is completely different, you know, and there's no one way to grieve. And um, essentially you just shut up and you listen, you know, I mean, it's really about just, listening and just you know like some you know everybody has people in their lives but all those people have their own you know they've they've also experienced that death or they're their you know, we're co-workers and they don't know how to relate to them and you know it's like there's all these people in their life that have some sort of relationship that in a way can cloud them just expressing themselves fully and let them feel listened to I found out about this Almost immediately after I started the podcast, I feel that most people walking around in this world are desperate to share their stories, their experiences. And many of them, many of my guests, everybody's trying to be of service and help the listeners to learn something from that experience. And I found out that so many people from age 17 to 80 never had the chance to actually do that. 87, let me be exact, is the age gap of my guests on the show. I found that to be so fascinating. So I try to walk through my own life observing to see what is that special sauce. And then and turn out to be just that, you know, that you sit there and listen, like what we had today, just the four of us. And people want to be heard, you know. Um, it's really interesting. And I think there's so much of what, what you're going through. It's you know, this moment and this process is so healthy for people, not only for the grieving process, but also for their own lives and how they impact the people around them on a daily basis, you know? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, I also thought, you know, maybe difficult, but part of me that have learned so much about Samantha through, you know, this very, very painful experience and I have seen so many people write about her, talked about her, you know, at the service. I thought this may be an opportunity to, you know, for some of my listeners to learn um, maybe a little bit about her. I don't think it's fair to say, you know, you know, this is who she is, you know, because I think it's important to be uh, in a fuller experience. But if we could just give them a sliver of what I had experienced, I thought it was quite powerful. So, you know, you know, we got five page long letters from people who had never met her telling us how they she had changed their lives. You know, just hearing about her and her life and her death just completely changed their lives. And they were about to go in like a whole new direction. And it was all because of Samantha. You know, it was just like so the outpouring was so amazing. You know, the November project, you know, they, uh, you know, that Wednesday after she died, you know, a thousand people all over the world turned their hats backwards and wore it the way she wore it. In Boston, they, it was, there was snow and they went down on their hands and knees and they cleared a path so they could run back and forth with their hats backwards. It was just amazing. I mean, it's just like, you know, people all over the world were like celebrating <laughs> Samantha. You know, in her life, it's like, wow. I, mean, I knew she was the greatest being, you know, one of the greatest beings who'd ever walked this earth. I knew that. But, uh, you know, you know, I didn't know so many people knew. But, yeah, no, the parents of people, parents of her friends called and wrote. And it was just amazing. You know, I mean, 200 people that day. I went to the November Project workout the Wednesday after she died. She died on a Sunday. And 200 people embraced me. I mean, 200 people hugged me and cried with me. And, you know, just I told stories about her. And, you know, it's like, you know, it was amazing, you know. So it was great. And uh, that was really important. And that group has helped me, you know, through the years. They've really done. There's an annual run, the Fastest Sam Run, every year. I don't know if you've seen the thing on that. But there's a, say they run one guy, Asuna uh, Sudhikar, uh, 
made a route through San Francisco that when you run it, it spells the word fast as Sam. So, yeah, so it's pretty cool. So we do it every year. So we've had three runs so far. So Samantha was um, a very special person. I learned who she was and very accomplished gymnast. Is it possible for you to share some of, you know, I don't want to just say accomplishment, but some of her um, passions and things that really interested her that she was... So she did everything really like more than 100%. So she went to Montessori school for preschool and it it probably set her life in, in a direction. In Montessori preschool, they'll polish an apple for half an hour to get a perfectly polished apple. So she, her whole education, we've never, ever had to look at her homework or anything or say, have you done this? Have you done that? She was on autopilot and she was doing everything to her own level of satisfaction, which was super high. Uh, when she was in fourth grade, we went to parents' night after like a month. You know, it's like school starts in September. It was October. We go to meet with her teacher, you know, in October. And he says, well, he said, I immediately realized that I had nothing I could teach her. But the best way for her to learn was to be my student teacher. So now she's teaching everybody. She tutors all the kids in the class and they all accept her. They love her and they accept her. So she was like, you know, right away, right away he saw what, what she was. And then she went back after uh, when she was in middle school, she started helping him. And then when she was in high school, she started, she'd go back to, you know, to his class. And, and I think he might have changed to sixth grade and she would tutor kids and they all just, you know, really accepted her tutoring and really learn from her and she loved it and she loved doing that so she was like you know she was that way and then you know she found gymnastics and she started when she was really young right and then yeah young but not quite young enough she started when she was like seven and five would have been a little better but it was okay and, and she did great i know it's crazy but that's how it that's how it is because she actually became too tall she grew too much and um but she had a, a an amazing year so she started i don't know there was a b c d and then level one two three four and all the way up to 10 and she made it up to eight uh, but at level four one year it was really interesting we went to the first meet and she did pretty well and then after the meet they gave awards and so they in each each of the four events so she won a second and a fifth and a third and a seventh. And they then they called the all-around winner, you know, the combined, and it was Samantha. And we're like, you're kidding, <laughs> really? And then, so that year, she went to 12 meets and she took first or second place in every meet. So she had like a whole bureau full of huge trophies. And, and then she went to the state championships and she took fourth place. She really, she, at that point, she was probably 11, maybe? 11 or 12, yeah, 11 or 12, and then, um, and then she got too tall when she was like about 14. She was too tall, and she kept breaking her hands on the balance beam when she flipped over. Her her arms were too long, and I said, "How, I how tall is too tall for gymnastics?" Five, she was five eight. Oh wow! Just five feet. They're five feet tall. Five two, and you're pushing it. So she was about five. Five eight, eight at 14. Yeah. Wow. Um, I see that you flip through some images and as I'm looking at these images, I, I had still a couple of questions that, um, you know, as you know, I, you know, lost, I lost my dad when I was 26 and I, you know, it's been, I couldn't believe it's been eight years. I told someone today and I dream, I think of him, I dream of him, um, very often. And I noticed that the certain stories as I'm sitting somewhere and just thinking about him, certain stories, yeah. bits and pieces of our, the most authentic, real parts of our lives come back. And they're not the most extravagant or necessarily accomplishments, but they just, they seem so insignificant when I think about them. So I wonder, um, what are some of the stories that you kind of float in your mind 
like the story you just told, like she didn't leave her coach. What are some of the other things that that you remember so vividly when you think of her? You know, she had a really biting sense of humor. And, uh, you know, she was just so brilliant with her humor, you know. And, and uh, I always remember this story about, uh, so she was, I had a bicycle and I had an other bike, you know, one, a little thing you attached to the back. It has its own wheel and pedals. And she was on that. And Jake was on his own bike. He was two years older. And we were like um, down in Rhode Island along the, it was a nice trail, a uh, rail trail down there. And it was nice and cool. And Massachusetts was hot. So we went down there and we're riding along. And, and I said, all right, Jake, let's race to the next sign. Let's have a race. And and we raced and we beat him by a little bit. But he, he said, no, no, it was a tie. It was a tie. And he said, Jake, no, it wasn't. He said, yes, it was. So he dropped it. And, and then uh, later on in the day, we're going, I said, all right, let's have another race. We raced and Jake like really beat us. And then when we went by, Samantha turned to him and she said, Ty. And she just like got his goat, you know, but it was just like, that was like Samantha. How how old were the kids at the time? Uh, She must have been like four or five. I assume very young at the time. Yeah, very young. Yeah. You know, oh, my favorite story, I, I think it, I probably, I might have told it the memorial service, but this is my all-time, maybe I didn't, maybe I did, I can't remember, was we went to Barcelona, so then I went to Barcelona, and we could just spend endless amounts of time together, we got along so well, and, and every day we would, we got into a routine, we'd go to this market, this amazing market, and we'd get all this stuff for breakfast and lunch, and then we'd walk down Las Ramblas, the kind of call the walkway in the main part of town where everybody's walking and street performance and we'd go to the beach you could just walk right out to the beach and we'd sit down you know we'd find the spot and we'd spend the whole morning you know on the beach morning and like through lunch and, and then we'd go and we'd walk around the rest of the day but uh, the one thing that was a little uncomfortable the first day where about half the women were semi-nude and it was a little uncomfortable being with your you know, she was in college, so she was like 20 or something, and a little uncomfortable. We got kind of comfortable with her, and, you know, no problem. And and then the last day, uh, we go to the beach, and I said, how about here? You know, I pick a spot, and she said, no way. And I said, why is that? And she said, well, look over there. And I looked over, and there was this young woman who was laying on her back, and her breasts were just like you're jettisoning up to the sky. Samantha says, if we lay here, you know, you're never going to hear a word I say. So she said, follow me. So I follow her down the beach and we're walking. It's hot. And I'm like, how about here? How about here? How about here? No, no, no. And finally she says, okay, here. We're like three quarters of a mile down the beach. And she says, here. I say, why here? She says, look over there. And I look over and there's three old women who are sitting topless and their breasts are hanging down almost into the sand <laughs> she said this is perfect so that, that was that was samantha's humor <laughs> and we just had a great time it was just a wonderful trip i really like the stories that you shared um you know, of her. And it's just so interesting that you had the time to, to process and to heal. And, and I like, I love where you're going with this next, which is to connect with many others, um, to let them know that, you know, it is also her wish for you to carry on. And I, I remember, you know, for the time I didn't, I didn't even know how much I love my dad until, until he was sick, to be honest. And yeah. it hit me, you know, and I was so paralyzed um, after the surgery, after the, I was just so, I just felt that, you know, with my mom, we had the same feeling. All of a sudden we lost a meaning to our lives and I never thought I would feel that way. And it was very, very hard. And I just remember the difference of observing him. Mean, his family loved him very, very much, but I remember just were there and everybody else was eating. And for days, 
for days, I just couldn't eat. I mean, literally yeah. by looking at food makes, made me feel like vomiting. And my mom was the yeah. same thing. I couldn't drink. I couldn't just couldn't, I couldn't even be in my body. After that experience, I started not just to look at work and such differently, but I started looking at people differently. Everyone has suffered. If not, yeah. everyone will suffer. I've become the person of now many friends approaching me to ask me questions and after they've suffered their great loss. Um, and I felt empowered and I couldn't, um, I've been to several homes, uh, you know, very recently, this past two years have been very difficult on many of my friends. Um, so like you said, the, the gift of giving forward and comforting others, um, even just be there. Like you said, we don't have to we just bring yeah. dinner and just be with each other. It's important, you know. People need that. People, people, you know, need to feel what they, you know, what's yearning to come out of them, and they need to feel safe to do it. And they need people. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's the that's the biggest thing. That's the. I mean, I, I reflect on this every day. The, the biggest, not upset, but the thing I would change if I, could, you know, obviously I would change. I'd never come back. But if I could, you know, the thing I would change in the day to day now is. Almost nobody talks about Samantha now. You know, it's like, you know, it's like she's, you know, it's like people don't want to make me feel bad. So they don't want to bring her up. But it's the not bringing her up that makes me feel bad. I love to talk about Samantha. It makes her still, you know, present and alive and, you know, part of life. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's really hard. People don't want to bring me down. So I think a lot of people, you brought up an interesting point of when, how people should approach you with the right questions. Again, everybody may be different, but I've spoken with a number of guests on the show and I always ask the question and the same to you as well. How do you, how do you prefer people to maybe act around you? Because their assumptions may be incorrect, right? Yeah. Most of these subjects are incorrect, but I just like to talk about Samantha. So they could ask me anything. They if they have if they knew her, you know, like the people who who got this eventually. I had to tell everyone because nobody got you know got it, and everybody was trying to tiptoe around me to not make me feel upset or not bring up the memory because it'd make me sad. Well, it's the exact opposite, and you know, one the people who got it now. When I talked to them, they said, oh, you know, I've just thought of another story about Samantha. You remember the time, blah, blah, blah. You know, we get to like revel in it, you know, revel in her memory and how wonderful she was. So, you know, you, instead of avoiding, you should, you know, kind of share your memory or ask a question, you know, hey, you know, I, don't, I didn't know that much about Samantha. Can you tell me more about her? You know, that's, that's great, you know, and, you know. Or it's been, you know, I know it's been two and a half years, you know, like how, you know, you know, how are you doing with it? And, you know, what, you know, how are you feeling? And just opening up the subject so that, you know, a person can talk and express themselves. But really, there's nothing better than somebody bringing up Samantha to me. And that's that's the best thing. I, you know, in general, parents love to talk about their kids. And it, it's so um, important for me to hear that. And now many more people will learn about this. You yeah. know, if you're unsure, at least ask, right? Yeah. And I think that part is so important. I never, you know, sometimes I felt almost distance from my dad to, you know, we weren't very close. And it's now I encourage, I remember sharing a, a piece of a calligraphy of his on Facebook, just on the back, yeah. on the background. And I didn't realize how many people start to engage with that. And many are American, you know, they couldn't quite read yeah. a character. But I also find myself really interested in sharing who he was. And he is still so much, uh, you know, a part of me. I mean, we look yeah. like each other. We're genetically so much more similar. I am so much more similar to him than I am to my mom. And wow. I feel the same way about Samantha to you. And that's very natural. I think just the yeah. DNA, how DNA how works in general, look wise I mean, skin, everything, you know, and um, wow. I just learned so much about, you know, what you've been going through. And I'm so glad to be able to kind of share this story out with, you know, 
so many other people, you know, Samantha's friends who are, I'm sure they're thinking, they're thinking about all of you and wanted to know how you're doing. And, and also so many people who still um, are going through the process. And it's, yeah, thank you so much for chatting with me sure. about your experience, your recovery, Samantha, and I think it's all coming together. And do much love. Okay, same here. Bye. Hi, um, it's Faye again, and I want to thank you all for listening to this very special episode. And uh, before we close, I have asked um, Richard's permission to read Samantha Dweck's obituary, and um, I would love to share this moment with you. Samantha Elizabeth Dweck, 1990-2015, passed away on January 25th as a result of a kayaking accident. Born in Boston, Massachusetts, and raised in Carlisle, Massachusetts, Samantha will be remembered for her many accomplishments, her deep engagement with life, her passions, and the vital spirit to which she brought her her life endeavors. Her love of learning was evident from her early years in elementary school. She often invited friends over to play school in her room, equipped with blackboard, paper, colorful pencils, and her little jar of treasures that she used as rewards for the students in her class. She graduated from Carlisle Public School in 2005 and carried her love of learning onto Concord Carlisle High School, where she expanded her teaching career as a volunteer tutor and in community service projects. She made a return to Bill Gale's middle school classroom where she happily tutored students in math. Throughout her education, Samantha supplemented her academic interests with her passion for sports, which served as another venue for challenging herself. She proved to be a determined, goal-oriented athlete. For many years, she was a dedicated and accomplished gymnast, enjoying the physicality and competition of the sport. Not only balancing herself on the beam, she created balance in her life, which allowed her to succeed at the highest levels in high school. In ninth grade, she turned the disappointment of a gymnastic sports injury into an opportunity to try track and field. Moving from a triple jump to hurdles and finally focusing on pole vaulting. In typical style, she went full steam ahead, winning many state medals and the Boston Globe All Scholastic Award in pole vault in 2008. Samantha was an honor student who took on many leadership roles, including class vice president and the president of National Honor Society. She graduated from Concord Carlisle High School in 2009 and continued her education at Brown University. At Brown, Samantha struggled with the challenge of determining the direction of her energies. She did not see her many achievements as an end in themselves, but as a springboard for utilizing her skills to give back to her community and the wider world. She augmented her academic and athletic pursuits with contributions to the campus and surrounding community. She coordinated distributions at a food cooperative, taught culinary classes to food subsidy recipients, and worked at Brown's College Resource Center. She also enjoyed escaping the campus bubble, becoming a barista at a local coffee shop. There, she met many new friends that added unique richness to her life. Wanting time to contemplate her future goals, she courageously chose to step off the scripted path spending a semester volunteering through the WWOOF, Worldwide Organization of Organic Farms program. During this time, she traveled to Italy, worked on organic farms, taught herself Italian. This experience fed Samantha's passion for healthy living and led to her BS degree in biology at Brown, graduating in 2013. After college, Samantha moved to San Francisco a good match for her interest in organic food and sustainable local food systems, and her love of nature and recreation. She worked for Credibles, a company that provides capital for small food enterprises. She joined the fitness group called The November Project, 
With her cadre of new friends, she hiked, biked, camped, and raised her way through the beautiful California countryside. She built her life in California with the same drive, zest, and enthusiasm of her early years. Her November Project friends honored her life with many Fast as Sam tributes, accumulating in a memorial race with runners wearing their hats backwards, as this was Samantha's typical practice during her NP workouts. Samantha enriched the lives of her family, friends, and the world community with her drive and determination, her compassion, her joyful and generous spirit, her faithfulness to her ideals, her optimism, her encouragement, and her infectious love of life. Samantha is survived by her mother, Shelley Grant Dweck of Carlisle, Massachusetts, her father, Richard Dennis Dweck of Mountain View, California, and her brother, Jacob Winston Dweck of New York City, New York. She also leaves behind many loving aunts, uncles, and cousins. Published in the Concord Journal from March 5th to March 12th, 2015.